Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We've been uh, looking at the four different components of our mission as Redeemer Baptist Church. Uh, we, we looked at how we uh, want to worship God in biblical simplicity. Right? We worship God in biblical simplicity, meaning we want to worship the way that the Bible tells us to worship Him. Uh, we, we want to worship the way that the early church worshipped. We want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We want to pray. We want to have fellowship and, and, and the Lord's Supper together. We want to do those things that the early church did. And we want the focus to be on God's Word. That's what it means that we want to be to worship in biblical simplicity. And I think that one relates again, like, like I've, I said before, uh, just kind of re- recalling where we've been. That relates to the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your strength. And the second part actually relates to the Second greatest commandment, that is to love your neighbor as yourself. We want to, uh, to um, serve. <laughs> we want to serve our community by meeting tangible needs. We don't want to just uh, you know, tell them, hey, you know, be warm and be filled like what James warns against. We don't want to just say, hey, come, come here and, and we'll tell you about the good life. No. We, we want to serve tangible needs. And so we, we have uh, a benevolence funds so that when, when people come to us with a need in this community, we can help them. When, and we do projects and things like that to try to serve in ways that are tangible. We've bought shoes for children before and, and things like that. We, uh, we've, we've had a meal program during the, during the summer um, sack lunches uh, one day a week. So those kinds of things we want to do to tangibly meet the needs of our community. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. And then last week we looked at how we want to communicate the gospel to those who have not heard. Uh, you know, we had the, the greatest commandment. We had the second greatest commandment. And, and last week we, we, we talked about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is what we want to be all about. And then... This week we're going to be looking at we want Christ at the center of all we do. Because we're here not about us. We're here to worship God. And that goes against our cultural mindset. Today, people want to go to church because it makes them feel good. Right? If, it may, if they go at all. We want to go because it makes us feel good. We want to have our preferences met. The way we worship, the way we... We, we, want, we want things about us so oftentimes. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about what He did. Um, in the early 2000s, there was a book that came out um, by a sociologist by the name of Christian Smith. And in that book, he coins a term that uh, I don't know if you may have heard of it or not, but it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. I'll explain what that means. Um, 
He, he basically says that at the, at, at the time that he wrote the book, around the early 2000s, he, he, he interviewed lots and lots and lots of kids who grew up in church. And he, he tried to determine what it was that they actually believed, these kids who'd grown up in church. And basically, their understanding of what church was all about is that there's a God, and He made us, and He wants us to be happy, and He wants us to be good people, and He wants us to feel good. That's not the Gospel. But that's what many kids growing up in church get. In this culture where everything is focused towards the therapeutic. Okay? That's the, that's the feeling good part. Right? Everything is focused on, you know, so many churches often have, have focused on therapy. This is what's going to help make your family more work better, right? This is what's going to help you overcome whatever struggle you're going through. And it's basically therapy. And it's not focused on God and what He did. It's about making people feel good or, or inspired or encouraged and not about we're sinners, <laughs> right? Gospel truth has to proclaim that message. We're sinners. We're broken. We've, we've messed up. And Jesus has done something great about it. Jesus has broken into history. The second person of the Trinity came down, lived among human beings, and died for our sins, taking our place. That's the Gospel. That's what it's all about. And if it's just about making us feel good or assuage our guilt, oh, we've got such a small picture of what the Gospel is all about. So, we want to have Christ at the center of all we do. We want to have Him be the focus point and not us. So we're going to look tonight in a passage that is all about how He is the greatest. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him... All the fullness of the Godhead of, of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Oh Father, we thank you for your grace in Christ. We thank you for Jesus who died in our place. Father, help us. Give, us. give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us a mind to understand who Jesus really is. Lord, give me grace and strength as I preach Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin with, He is the, invis the image of the invisible God. 
This reminds us of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When God created, first created human beings in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, He said, let us make man in our image. And He created man and woman. He created human beings to be His image bearers. There's a lot of debate about what that means, but what I'm convinced of is that the fact that man was created as God's image is we are His representatives here on this earth. When in ancient Near Eastern culture they worshipped a god, they would have His image there placed in the temple. Okay, And God instead placed His image here on this earth to represent Him and to rule for Him. What did God give as Adam and Eve's command? What were they supposed to do? They were to be fruitful and to multiply, and He gave them dominion over all the creatures, right? And we were to be His image bearers. And we sinned in Adam. Our first parent is what uh, theologians call it. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they sinned by disobeying God, by partaking of the forbidden fruit. And in so doing, they brought sin into the world. They, they brought sin into the world and death through sin, Romans tells us. Relationships were distorted. Um, the curse was entered in and, and we all die. We experience pain. We experience sickness. All of that because sin came into the world. And while we retained the image of God. You see, in Genesis 9, when God speaks to, uh, to Noah after the flood, He tells Noah, He institutes what's, what we know as capital punishment. He says, if a, uh, if a man kills another man, by man his blood shall be shed, for he was created in the image of God. So an attack on another human being is an attack on the very image of God. So even after the fall, we see that, that human beings are still image bearers of God. And we are image bearers of God. Regardless of whether a person is a believer or an unbeliever, God has put His imprint on us and we are created to worship Him. Even if we are rebels and we stand shaking our fists against Him, we are going against our very nature and the very thing that He created us for. The image of God, though we still retain it, was marred. It is twisted. And we have, have, instead of reflecting who God is, we have broken it, we have twisted it, and, and we have, have destroyed what God has designed to be such a good thing. And Jesus came. And He was the very image of the invisible God. What Adam and Eve were supposed to be, what we were supposed to be, and we failed... Because of our sin, Jesus was. He reflects. So if you want to know what the image of God is supposed to be, if you want to know what the image of God really should look like, look at Jesus. He was the image of the invisible God. There's an irony here in this text too. The image of the invisible God. An image is something you see, right? Right? 
And God's invisible. Yet Jesus was the image of what was invisible. There's an irony that we see there. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. False teachers often get this wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses get this wrong. The Arians of the early church, uh, the, in the early church area, when they were hammering out the doctrine of the Trinity, when they were trying to understand what the Bible's teaching about who Jesus was, the Arius and his followers got this wrong. They thought that by saying that he was the firstborn of all creation, that he was a, a created being. No, that's not what firstborn means. It has more to do with inheritance. What, who, who gets an inheritance, or who gets the bulk of an inheritance when a person dies? It's the firstborn, right? There, there's a special place. Uh, it, it's the rank. It's rank. Uh, like, you know, the, the, you know, we want to all love our kids equally, right? But oftentimes in the ancient world, there was a ranking, right? The, the rank of of um, a firstborn would be a higher rank than children that would come after. And I know, you know, I'm a firstborn, so I kind of like that. <laughs> Amy's a secondborn, because she's looking at me glaring. <laughs> the firstborn of all creation does not mean that Jesus was a created being. It means he is in rank higher than anything else. And greater than anything else. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. If you're concerned about possibly Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, means that he he was the first of creation. Well, here in the very next sentence it says, For by him all things were created. What's all things? All things. Right? He was not a created being, he was the creator. The Bible tells us Jesus, who in 1 John, not in 1 John, in John chapter 1, it tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word uh, was God, and everything that was made was made through Him. In John 1.14, it tells us the Word became flesh. That, That one who was the Word of God that was in the beginning, He became flesh. It's Jesus. It's clear. And here in Colossians, we see... For by Him all things were created. The second person of the Trinity. Jesus. He was the Creator of all things. The Creator of all things 2,000 years ago became a little baby in a manger. For by Him all things were created. The passage that Mike read from earlier in the Old Testament, said that the Lord, God, had made everything. And it also says, my glory I give to no other. God doesn't share His glory with anyone. And one of the things that He was emphasizing to show how great and magnificent was, He was saying, I made everything. And the Bible tells us, Jesus made everything. One of the things that we get from this fact, uh, the, the fact that the Lord will not share His glory with another, and the fact that He said He created everything, and the Bible tells us Jesus created everything, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is 
God. He, he, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through Him and for Him. What did He make? Everything. In heaven and on earth. Heaven is one of those words that uh, we have two different senses. Oftentimes in our day and age when we think of heaven, we think of the spiritual realm where God is. But you know, the, whenever the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, it's talking about space. It's talking about you know, the sky, the birds of the heavens, right? Uh, so He created everything in the heavens. He created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created uh, Jesus. Created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created the planet. He created um, the birds of the air, and he created everything in the he- in heaven and on earth. He created the trees. He created the the animals. He created all plants. He created the caves in the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean. All things were created by Him. Whether visible or invisible, He created those things that we can see and He created the things that are invisible. What's invisible? I'm not just talking about air. I'm talking about light. <laughs> can you see light? <laughs> well, in one sense, yes. But uh, 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 He created gravity. Can you see gravity? He created the laws of nature. He created um, atoms. He created the second law of thermodynamics. I mean, the rules of where everything works. He created it all. Both the visible and the invisible, He created it all. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... As I said before in my prayer, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God holds the hearts of kings in His hands and He turns it whichever way He wishes. Jesus is the one who stands in that place. He created thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. He's the one who put them in their places. He brings up empires. He brought this country into being. And He can take it down. He is the one who all things hold together in Him. In Him, all things hold together. If Jesus decided to just let go of the universe for one second, everything would fly apart. He holds all things together by His power. There's not an atom in your body that stays together the way it's supposed to be apart from the power of Jesus. Apart from the power of Christ Jesus. So it's all about Him. It's all about Him. All things were created through Him and for Him. And for Him. Why did Jesus make human beings? For himself. Why did Jesus make the earth as a place where we could live? 
for Himself. He created us for Himself to worship Him. We're His. We are the sheep of His pasture. We belong to Him. So, we would have Christ at the center of all we do here at Redeemer Baptist Church. And He is before all things. He precedes everything. There was nothing that was before Him. Everything flows from Him. He precedes everything. He's before all things. In Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Whose church is this? It's not my church. It doesn't belong to... I mean, okay, our building belongs to the Baptist Foundation of Illinois. Of course, it's just held in stewardship because God owns everything. Jesus owns everything. But this church is not the building. It's the people. It's pretty simple. We understand that. This church is not ours. It belongs to Jesus. So, we do things the way Jesus wants us to do things. When we have a members meeting, we want to do things the way Jesus wants us to do things. And so many times in church business meetings... Over, you've probably seen them if you've ever spent time in a church business meeting. People are arguing about the color of the carpet or whether or not to spend money on one thing or another. And so often, it's all division and everything because we'll forget who the church belongs to. Oh, preacher, don't you know how much money I put in the offering? This church isn't yours. It belongs to Jesus. That money wasn't yours to give away. It was Jesus's. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. Oh man, here, here we see another firstborn language. He first said He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the highest in rank of all creation. And here it tells us He is the firstborn from the dead. Strange way to put it. We don't usually associate birth and death in such a close way. But basically, uh, I think what this is getting at is how do we know that if we trust in Jesus, that one day we'll raise from the dead and live forever with Him. We know because He rose from the dead. Right? He is the firstborn of all the dead. He, he came and He died for our sins so that if we trust in Him, that we will share in His resurrection. He rose from the dead to prove that He really was who He said He was. And in His resurrection, we look to that every Easter and every Sunday, remembering, if Jesus rose from the dead, that means if I put my faith in Him, I'm going to raise from the dead too. Because He lives, we sing, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, we know we're going to raise from the dead if we trust in Him. Have you trusted in Him? Have you been born again? He is the firstborn 
from the dead. He was, his resurrection was the thing we can point to to know with confidence that if we, our hope is in Him, we're going to raise from the dead too. That in everything, He might be preeminent. He is the priority. He is preeminent in everything. He is all those things we talked about. He is the firstborn of all creation. By Him, everything was created on heaven and earth. He, he's, he's the creator of thrones and dominions and authorities and all of those things. He is the head of the church and all of those things so that in everything, He might be preeminent. In everything. In your job, Jesus is to be preeminent. In your retirement, Jesus is to be preeminent. When you go to school, Jesus is to be preeminent. When you're taking a nap, Jesus is to be preeminent. Charles Spurgeon said that the sovereignty of God is the pillow that he lays his head on at night. Trusting that God will take care of him. It's such a comfort to know that God is in control. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. This is something that can be misunderstood and it was in some of the early debates about the Trinity. There are some who held a view called adoptionism that basically said that you know Jesus was born as just a regular human being and that, that at the point of his baptism he was adopted. Okay? That's wrong. Jesus was the God man who became flesh. He was the second person of the Trinity who became flesh. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was all God. He was complete God. When, when, when He spoke, He was speaking with the voice of God. God actually walked among human beings. Not just part of God. The fullness of God walked with human beings on this planet. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile Himself to all things. As I said, we were broken. We were sinful. We, 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 we were supposed to be that image of God, but we sinned and we fell and we brought death and sin into the world and sickness and all of the tragedies that we know in our human experience. But He became a man so that through Him He might reconcile all things to Himself. There was a division. Right? It's called sin. We were broken. We were alienated from God. We were His enemies. We were without hope and apart from God in this world. And He came to reconcile us to himself. To himself. 
Again, I think emphasizing that, that Jesus was God. The Father sent the Son to reconcile us to God. And here it's a to Himself. Jesus was reconciling us to Himself by dying in our place. And there are cosmic implications here. Not just our individual sins being forgiven. It says, whether on earth or in heaven, all He's reconciles all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven. One of these days, a lion's going to lie down with the lamb. Right now, all creation groans because we're awaiting the coming of the Lord Jesus when He sets all things right and there's no longer any sickness or crying or pain any longer. The lion will lie down with the, with the lamb. The little child will play over the adder's hole and he won't be bitten. One of these days when He returns, there'll be peace between man and man. There will no longer be any war. There will no longer be any hostility between man and the creation. And He did all of this because He made peace by the blood of His cross. How did He reconcile us? By shedding His blood upon the cross. He died in our place to reconcile us. He was our propitiation. Propitiation is just a big word, big theological term. I throw it out there. It's used in 1 John, I think it's chapter 2. To propitiate is the idea that God is angry and He needs His wrath to be satisfied. And it's a biblical idea. What Jesus, God has been angry with human beings. He has been angry at our sin. And anyone who is apart from Jesus Christ, who has not yet been born again, who has not trusted in Him, God is angry with them. And if you, in this room, have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, God is angry with you and there is one way to have that wrath satisfied and that He can forgive your sins and you can be no longer God's enemy but His son and or daughter. And that is throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ trusting that what He did on the cross paid your debt. Throw yourself on Him. Trust in Him. Look to Jesus. I can't tell you the words of any prayer to pray or anything like that. So many times somebody has just come forward down an altar and repeated a bunch of words and thought that saved them. We're not saved by just repeating a prayer. We're saved by trusting that Jesus died for us. A prayer might be helpful to tell God, this is, I'm, I'm trusting you. I want you to forgive my sins. But He does it 
just by trusting Him, by having faith in Him, by having faith that when Jesus died on the cross, your sins were covered and taken away. And He does some kind of an internal change that is mysterious and we just can't understand and we call it the new birth. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. And that's what He came here to do for Himself. I want to remind us of the, the last thing I want to remind us of is the last part of what, what uh, Mike read from. I am the Lord, Isaiah said. Thus says the Lord, I am the Lord. My glory I will not, my glory I will give to no other. At Redeemer Baptist Church, We don't want to give glory to anybody but Jesus. Our glory, who we will glory in is not ourselves and patting ourselves on the back and saying, oh, aren't we great? Because we meet our neighbor's needs. Oh, aren't we great? Because we're out there preaching the Gospel. Oh, aren't we great? Because we're biblical about the way we do things. You know what? Without the last thing, all those other things just contribute to our pride. It's all about Him. It's all about His glory. So, at Redeemer Baptist Church, let's be a church that worships in biblical simplicity, that serves our community by meeting tangible needs, that communicates the gospel to those who have not heard, and that we have Christ as the center of all we do. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church in Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.